we stuff up change in the corporate world because we get the transformation experts and they go, right, let's do this really deep transformation process, yep. complicated, all this language. And you ask people, Phil, how are you? He goes, well, I'm tired. I've got no energy and, and I'm all over the place. And, and now we're trying to do something new. Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to another episode of the Strive Stronger podcast. This one is with a little bit of a twist. Last week I had lunch. I had lunch with two Australian sporting legends, Shane Lee and also Phil Kearns. The Strive Stronger podcast has recently got a new family. We've joined the afternoon sports group of which Shane is a partner and together we're going to be bringing you continued great interviews and a broad range of athletes, entrepreneurs, business leaders, politicians to keep you striving, moving forward and stronger in all parts of your life. I really enjoyed being part of this conversation on a number of levels. First one, it was great to ask a few questions, even though I was a guest, to both Shane and Phil on what they did to get to the top of their respective sports, and they were both captains. Shane was captain of New South Wales cricket team, and Phil was captain of the Waratahs and also the Wallabies. The second thing that I really enjoyed is they are both strong examples on transition and reinventing. They didn't just rely on being an athlete, and they definitely don't introduce themselves as the ex-athlete. They have an identity around business, around being a father, around being a community member. There's been a real evolution from their athletic days. And the third lesson is lunch with Lee is a true example of being authentic. I've known Shane for nearly 20 years now. We first met when he was captain of Cricket New South Wales and I was the Cricket New South Wales fitness trainer. Uh, Back then, it wasn't a lot of structure with fitness, but credit to Shane and the senior leaders as we really embedded fitness as part of the program moving forward. But more so, I've been really proud to see Shane transition to father and husband and along the way, entrepreneur, being involved in several different successful business ventures. Authenticity is about being you, and authenticity is about creating an environment for other people to be comfortable in. And Shane does this beautifully on Lunch with Lee. Uh, I really hope you do enjoy this episode where Shane Lee interviewed myself and Phil Kearns as part of Lunch with Lee. To end the show, Phil Kearns. Hey, Kearnsy, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Couldn't be better. Mate, thanks for doing this. When we got together on that boat and you <laughs> twisted my arm right up my back... And it's a really hard thing to do as well. Sit around, and have a bit of lunch and a chat. That's it, mate. And other guests, Andrew May. Hey, Maisie. Shano, good to see you. Mate, I'm really excited to have both of you guys on the show. I want to start with you, Kernsey. Um, just to let you know, last night doing my research, I've, I've engaged a few junior reporters. Um, <laughs> that being George Gregan, Matty Burke, Phil Waugh and Matt Dunning. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, Mark, Mark Taylor always said that... Um, you're not a good bloke if you have a nickname. But you've got a quite a few. So the first one, the nickname Turtle, where does that come from? Uh, <laughs> this is from George Gregan. Yes. Tur- turtle that comes from two places. It's a bit of a mixture of one. Timmy Gavin were out uh, on his farm one day and, uh, and Gav said to his little nephew, then he said, uh, do you know who this is? And the bloke goes, yeah, it's Pill Turtons. Because he couldn't say you. Phil Kern, so it was Pill Turtons. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then as my career went on, I used to be fast. And at the end of my career, I was pretty slow. Gotcha. So uh, the Turtons and the Turtle got mixed up. <laughs> I like it. And Matt Dunning reckons your other nickname when you started, Orange is a bit harsh, but you said that you were called Lightning because your line never hit the same place twice. Yes, that... that You've got to love your mates, don't you? Oh, old drop goal, Matt Dunning. Um, yeah, that... We, that came from uh, my very first test. We were training uh, at the Ellerslie Racetrack in Auckland. 
Yep. And there was a howling gale blowing across the, the racetrack. Like, who, which international team would train <laughs> on a racetrack? Right, but that's what we were doing. And, yeah, let's just say I, with that breeze and nervousness and the whole thing, Steve Cutler actually gave me that nickname. God bless him. God bless him, mate. <laughs> now, Maisie, you and I go way back when you first started working with Cricket New South Wales as a high-performance slash fitness coach. Um, I just sort of re- we were regaling off air this the first time we met. Unfortunately, you were dragged up for a pre-season. We had a pre-season camp in the Hunter Valley, <laughs> like like really good cricketers used to do. And um, we you, you were told to deal with myself. I was the current New South Wales captain, and um, I think the vice captain was a guy called Stuart McGill, who, who knew his wine pretty well. Um, and then we took you under our wing. Are, are we leading with this? Can we? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how was, the, how was the fitness training next day? Oh, it was shocking. I, I can remember uh, I woke up at 9am. The warm-up game started at 9.30. I jumped in the bus. Grant Lambert just laughed at me and, and Stumper just shook his head and said, mate, what the fuck are you doing? But you, before that, about six months, I had an interview with Steve Rickson. So I'd left track and field, Phil, which is pretty nerdy, joined team sport. You guys have beers, like yeah, rather than Gatorade. How good is this? Have thought? Yeah. Who would have thought that beer was in there? Yeah, and you're not trying to just smash everyone. So I love the change. And I remember the interview with Steve Rickson. I rocked in with a tie, and, and Stumper looked at me and said, What the fuck's that? I, was I took it off. We sat down in the old uh, indoor centre at New South Wales Cricket, and I said, uh, Mr. Rickson, is there a job description? He said, a job description? What's that? What do you mean? He yeah. said, what are you doing tomorrow at 9 a.m.? I said, oh, nothing. He said, the boys are doing a recovery session. Why don't you come along? If they like you, stay. If not, fuck off. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of the interview. I said, is there anything else, Stumper? He said, yeah, yeah, rule number one, don't be late. And if you're late, fuck off. So I was really yeah. clear. The following morning, I rock up 45 minutes late. I got a coffee at the, the footy stadium. You rock up, and I was really nervous. You know, entering team sport for the first time, felt really excited, like you know, with real people in real sport. And do you remember what I said to you? Uh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> no, you felt like saying that. You looked at me, I shook your hand, and I said, oh, g'day, Brett. And you oh, went, yeah. hey, oh, he's my yeah. brother. What a great start. <laughs> that that, that would have been the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny you mentioned that. Have you enjoyed the Commonwealth Games recently? Watching oh, I loved some, it. Did you, a middle distance runner, what, what, was. Was your, what was your event? 1,500. Right, 1,500. Yeah, Ollie Hall, that time, yeah. 3.30, is well the best Commonwealth Games time we've ever had. But just, just an unfortunate surname, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Can't work on that. No, I got, got an oh whore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what we can talk about, though, is that time and the magnitude of that. That is a true world-class race. Yeah. Hey, it was phenomenal. It was. And I like Kenny Sutcliffe's call, too, was whore, not finished yet. <laughs> <That's the beauty. laughs> now, Kersey, um, I, I want to ask you about um, uh, your stuff you've been, you did for the 2027 bid to get the Rugby World Cup here. You have to think we've got the women's and the men's Rugby World yep. Cup. So well yep. done, well done on that, by the way. Thank I you. know you did a lot of work behind the scenes. This has got to be rugby is probably it's fallen off where it was in 999 when you were dominant and, and particularly in Australian sport. Is this a chance for rugby to be back on the world stage, particularly in Australia? Uh, uh, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of really great grass uh, grassroots and the, the shoots are coming through. Yep. And uh, you know this World Cup will be. Not the culmination, but 
we've started already. We're still five years away from yep. that happening, and, but we've started the growth already. Um, the club competition this year has been fantastic. The Shoot Shield, Parramatta burning Sydney Uni. My God, yes. how much did I love that. That was just fantastic. <laughs> we all love Sydney Uni getting beaten. Yep. It doesn't matter what sport it is, it. but we love it. And uh, so the, the competition's coming back, the growth of the game's coming back. Interestingly, during COVID, it was actually quite good for the game because a lot of the boys that were at private schools in the boarding houses who would normally be playing for their schools went back and played for their local town. Um, and, and that provided a lot of growth in some of the country areas. But um, for this World Cup, it'll bring about $2.5 billion to the Australian economy. Uh, that's the Men's World Cup. The, the Women's World Cup won't bring that amount of money, but it's great focus and profile for them and the women's game well we've seen what our girls can do in terms of the sevens they're, they're, they're incredible athletes they're unbelievable yeah. and, um, and look, I, I just think um, and, and we're seeing as you said there's some real green shoots there we're seeing some snippets at the moment and how quickly the public turn and want to support the Wallabies when they're doing well yeah I mean our capacity crowd at the SCG yeah. and you know the two other games over in uh, Western Australia and, and up in Brisbane were, were pretty full not quite capacity yeah. but not far off it uh, so that's that's been really positive. Uh, the Wallabies beating Argentina under pretty difficult circumstances. Sure. Half the team's injured, yeah. and they yeah. still got to win then. And uh, so look at the focus. Well, look where it's at now. Uh, we're number six in the world. Yep. All Blacks are number five. Yeah. If we win this weekend, we go to five, and they lose, they go to six. So we can move up the ranks pretty quickly. Now, so on that, so you're going through a transformation phase, and Maisie, you, what you do when you've done with KPMG, you're, what, for a better term, you're a transformation specialist. So, is, <laughs> say is, that at dinner is, parties, you sit next to people. I'm a transformation specialist. Yeah, go, fuck, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gloria, <laughs> let's get my out baby of here. Just call, I'm go <laughs> but no, it's um, it, it's interesting because. I just see in the corporate world, is the corporate world sort of following almost what a high-performance sporting team have done in the past? Is that, is that where the, the trend's going? We're starting to, and I'm, I'm curious what, what Phil's done with his transformation from athlete, and well, both of you as well. I've got a question in a moment on that. But I think we stuff up change in the corporate world a lot of times because we get the transformation experts or the consultants in and go, right, let's do this really deep transformation process, yeah. complicated, all this language. And you ask people, Phil, how are you? He goes, well, I'm tired. I've got no energy and I'm all over the place. And now we're trying to do something new. So what I learned from Sports Channel is, first of all, you've just got to you know, look at capacity. How do you give people time? How yep. do you, you know, help them with energy and focus on the right things? So that's the approach I take in the corporate world. Give them some capacity first. Give people agency that they actually feel like they can do something different, then bring in the transformation. So right. it's not rocket science, but when you try and anyone in the corporate world will get this, they'll nod. You get the experts in the consultants, they come up with a new mnemonic acronym a story, and everyone goes, Yeah, yeah, Shadow. What they're really thinking, this too shall pass. Six months later, <laughs> yeah. there'll be a new leader. Phil, you're laughing. You've been there. <laughs> uh, we just give it lip service. So I, I learned that off sport. Okay. I'm just reflecting as you're asking that question. It's, it's funny, what I'm seeing at the moment, that blokes, we spend our sort of first 40, 50 years almost destroying our health and then uh, <laughs> trying to get to where we want to get to and then the next, the next 20 or 30, if you're lucky, um, trying to get it back. It's, it's funny how things change. I, right? I work with a lot of renovators' dreams, Shana, like executive males who yeah. I just look at their bodies and just go, you're a renovator's dream. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sand back the floorboards, free stump, coat of paint. Well, mate, I saw it. I looked on your website, Andrew May website, and um, 
there's a number of shirt oh, here uh, we shots go. with you <laughs> in tight, tight tees. Now, I just want to know, before, before the photo shoot, how many push-ups and dips were you doing? And how long was the t- how long were the T-shirts in the dryer? <laughs> it's a fashion item that you and I tend to uh, yeah, leave away. Oh, no, that's too <laughs> tight. Put it there. Colin Kersey, yeah. <laughs> one of my best mates, Mario, I grew up with in Dubbo, said, next time you do a photo shoot, don't wear Archie, who's my 11-year-old son's T-shirts. <laughs> uh, on that, though, Shane, when I did do that book, the publisher said to me, we want to get a few photos. Yeah, we'll get you out on the beach. And yep. I, I thought I was in okay, Nick. And then yep. he looked at me and said, nah, you'd probably better do a three-month shred, get you in proper shape before wow. I hung my head. So it was, it was three months. Oh, that's a bit harsh, but anyway. Now, Kurt, I want to ask you about, um, you're one of only 20 guys who have won multiple World Cups in rugby, 1991 and 1999. I just want to ask you, what were the key moments in the 1991 and 1999 for you as a team that... that when you knew you're, you're, you turned the, you know, it's not the Michael Line of goal. Or, or, what, what were the key moments? Are there any vivid moments that stand out? In in '91, we played Samoa yeah. in, I want to say, I was clinically. Okay, what, it's easy for you to say. Yeah, yeah. In, in Wales. <laughs> and uh, what a shit ground. <laughs> <laughs> The, the grass was dead set, almost knee high, because the rain that they had wow. had around there, and we came out of that game, we're you know expected to win by plenty, yep. and well, I, th- I can't remember the score, I'm bad at that, but it was something like six three, yep. was okay. the final wow. score, and we played really shit rugby, and and Bob Dwyer implored us, he said, he, he essentially said, you guys don't understand the talent that you've got in this team and if you play the best of your ability we're going to win this tournament well, and I think it was just that, that sort of turning point where we switched and went okay he's actually probably right Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and if we get our act in the gear we could win the tournament and we'd had some really good victories going into the way, that World Cup so I think that was certainly one of them uh, 99 World Cup the a turning point on it. Yeah, a bit different yeah. and the turning point for me was um, when I had to come home <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> I did my foot against Ireland and that had to had to come home but uh, no I think the, the the difference no sorry I'll say the similarities in those teams were uh, the amount of leaders that were okay. in that side it just wasn't the captain it was there was a bunch of people that that were leaders and uh, so whilst the pre- there was obviously there's always pressure on the captain yeah but there was people which had great expertise and great so experience great and great yeah. um, leadership abilities around them that it just didn't all fall on the one yeah. person. Um, um, Matt, Matty Burke said to ask, what, what was the, the message you left uh, <laughs> to the guys after you, you, you left the to go home injured? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, was a, there is a little story around that. <laughs> so um, I, was at, I was at home and uh, I'd had my foot operation and uh, I was asked to send a video message to the team. Yep. Uh, and, of course, there was a whole bunch of cricketers and athletes, swimmers, whatever they were, that, and <laughs> John Howard, Peter Cosgrove, all yep. these people had sent messages of support to, to the team. And uh, it was a real tearjerker. And the, the tension in the team, this, the boys tell me, the tension in the room was just unbelievable. Right. Uh, and then they said, and, and Kernsey's sent a message then and if you do remember they had VCRs back then <laughs> <laughs> so I was in a VCR and uh, and so I sent the message and, and basically 
the camera. We, we had a saying during the whole tournament, which is keep them nude, which meant don't let them score any points, yep. keep them nude. Yep. Uh, tries, obviously, in particular, but uh, <laughs> and we're pretty successful at that. I think against us in that whole tournament, we had one try scored against us, and that was against the USA, and Jason Little was captain, and we... Don't let him forget that he was a skipper <laughs> and let that try go when it was his opposing number that scored. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm on the balcony um, and my wife's videoing me and I'm just sending this message, you know, guys, what a great team to be part of, etc., etc. And the camera's panning back and as the camera pans back, it oh, no. says I don't have a shirt on. <laughs> and then and the final said, and I said, boys, and don't forget what's driven us this whole tournament yeah. is keep them nude. And, and as the camera... <laughs> Fully naked. At least you weren't Jason Little. <laughs> anyway, apparently it broke the tension quite a bit. The boys had a good Hilarious. laugh at my expense, and uh, and off they went and won. Good. I hope they destroyed that video. Yeah, but, uh, so do I. They'd go viral these days, wouldn't they, on the internet? Oh, yeah, you can't do it these days. Amazing. I mentioned the Strive Stronger podcast at the start. Um, who you got coming up on that? And, um, and, and what's the, as you said, it's trying to make people better, better versions of themselves. How do, how do you do that in, in basic terms? Yeah, in basic terms, it's looking at where they are, where yeah. they want to go, and then to, like a GPS, helping yeah. them get there. Uh, but my background, you know, as an athlete, can I say athlete with you too? I haven't been to any World Cups, didn't represent Australia, so as a, a try-hard a try athlete, like I've got to... Yeah, okay, you look fitter than both of us <laughs> yeah. now, yeah. I'm yeah. 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 I learned a lot about individual fitness, studied psychology, learned a lot about mindset, and then just a lot of trials, tribulations, stuff-ups in the corporate world. So it's physical well-being, psychological well-being, and also looking at leadership and transition. Um, so coming up, we've got some good ones. Todd Greenberg yes. coming up. We've got uh, one of your former teammates, Georgie Gregan. Uh, oh, yes. One of your teammates has just been on, Eddie Cowan. But it's not just athletes. We've got some business leaders. We've got Matt Common from Combank. We've got a couple other yeah. leaders we've got coming up. We've got uh, a couple I can't mention yet because uh, they've said tentatively yes. So we've got some, yeah. some big ones. Kenzo, I want to ask you about, um, you've done some philanthropic, some really good stuff in that space. Um, the Balmoral Burn. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've run up that hill a couple can I, can times. Can I just give you a bit of feedback on that? <laughs> shit, shit hill. Like, <laughs> first time I did it, I did it with a mate of mine, Shagger, and now he was an 800, 1500 metre runner. How'd he get that nickname? He chases the girls up the hill. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I did some good times. Anyway, next time, choose a better hill. That is horrific when you get halfway mm. up and your throat is in the back of you. So, so the history behind that, your, your son was in hospital. What, what For what reason? And now with Humpty Dumpty, so it's providing medical equipment for... Children's hospital. Children's, children's wards right yeah. around Australia. Uh, yeah, he was, and, and then I had the incident uh, with my daughter. I ran over her in the driveway yeah. of our house, and actually the equipment that was uh, used to help save her life was donated by Humpty. Uh, so, you know, quite serendipitous, and, and I'm sort of inextricably linked now to, to Humpty. So, so talk me through that. I've got three kids. I, I get goosebumps, but I can't imagine the feeling as a father or a parent when you, when you, when you, you, you reverse over your daughter who was 19 months old. I, I went over her forwards, uh, going forward. Oh, right, okay. uh, I didn't see her. She ran around the front of the car. Um, we had a funny sort of shaped driveway, so the, the front of the car came up high and you couldn't sort of see over it, and then it, you came down. Jesus. And uh, she'd run out round from the side of the house. My other son, the, my, my second child, uh, a boy, Finn, he saw it happen. Uh, and he said, Dad, you just ran over her. And I didn't feel anything in the car. Like, it was a two-reg, you know, a big yeah. four-wheel drivey thing. So... I didn't feel a thing um, and ran around and uh, picked her up and well, my wife picked her up and just straightened the ambulance, uh, called the ambulance and uh, they, they timed everything afterwards and 
uh, the ambulance got there in seven minutes, and they wow. said if it was nine minutes, she'd be dead. Um, so oh, it was that, yeah, that close. Wow. Uh, but now, you know, we've donated uh, through the Balmoral Burn about $35 million worth of Amazing. equipment to about nearly 500 hospitals around the country now. Uh, and a big focus has been in uh, Northern Territory over the last couple yep. of years, and yep. there's a lot's gone up there, but still donating all around the place. And uh, so the Burn's, you know, part of my life. So I, I, wanna, I always thought, what, what would her teenage years be like when, you know, you're still a dad and you've got to push back on her and she, you tell her to do something, she goes, but you run over me, Dad. Well, she already has used that several times. She's, uh, she's, she's 18 now, and, uh, and you know, you might say something, what yeah. do you care, Dad? You tried to kill me. Oh, I yeah, love thanks, thanks, darling. And your, your other daughter, Matilda, was, uh, is an Olympian athlete. So good genes in the family. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're both tough. She, um, she competed in Tokyo, was that last year? In yeah, water, last water year. polo. Water polo yep, last yep. year. Uh, she's um, studying at the University of Southern California, and as she speak, as we speak, she's in Budapest um, with the Stingers, the, the Australian women's water polo team. Great. Get uh, playing in Hungary, then off to Italy, and then off to Spain. So shit life. And us cricketers, we get Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, fucking <laughs> like Bangladesh. Like, oh, we love all our Bangladesh uh, listeners out there, but <laughs> come on, you know, Italy, yeah, Budapest. Um, yeah. Amazing. Just a, a quick one. Uh, in short, you, you've, you would have coached um, both team sport players and individual athletes. What's the biggest difference? Is there, is there a real selfishness with individual athletes? Yeah, selfishness, self-centeredness. Uh, if you get the self-centeredness right, they yeah. can still assimilate back into the real world. Right. Selfishness, some elite athletes that I have worked with, trained with, often never make the transition back. So I think naturally in a team sport, you've got 11, 13, 15, 18 in AFL. So you actually have to know about team and about communication. Otherwise, you just get hooked. So yeah, I find... It's much tougher, though, in, in individual sports. Like, if you look at an Olympic sport, we're talking about Ollie Hall. If he wins, it's his fault. If he loses, it's his fault. I'm sure you've had a, yeah. a, a game, Phil, uh, and Shano. What's, what's, well, the, back, the backs are more like individuals, are they? Individuals. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know. They do swap makeup colours and things like that. that they do. But, but nail polish now, isn't they? Nail polish No, actually, it was, it's a really good question because I didn't know I was allowed to ask questions, but no, I was going to right, yeah. ask you that because I, you think about a tennis player and all they do all day is think about themselves yep. and then when they're sick about thinking about themselves, they hire someone to think about them and yeah. and like how do you have, the only normal tennis player I ever met was um, was Paddy Rafter and I think that's because he had about a thousand brothers and sisters and like you have to care about other people yeah. in that. We're scenario. getting into a domain. I'll do this short, Shano, because this is what I do in my podcast. Yeah. But when we talk about mental skills. Individual or team athletes, Phil, you look at that base, so what's the storytelling, but also what's your identity? And if an athlete is the rugby player, the cricket player, the water polo, water polo athlete, and they're nothing else outside that, they're the ones that really struggle because invariably the tournaments and the trophies come and go and you're left with you and relationships and what you are. So I spend a lot of time with our young players at Parramatta. Who are you outside of rugby league? Uh, you know, what, what do you do in the community? What are your hobbies and interests? And uh, but I, I, I've got five of our players at Parramatta studying, and I, and I think that's the biggest achievement I've made there personally. Yeah. Because what are they studying? Uh, psychology. Right. Okay. Only psychology. Ryan Madison's doing a, a combined uh, phys ed psych. 
Uh, Will Penasini is doing a, a business course. Oh, I look, look forward to seeing the results. <laughs> <laughs> now, can, can I ask? I've got a question. Fail. I just, <laughs> um, for both of you, I was thinking about this. You, you got to both two World Cups each in, in two yeah, very challenging, tough sports. A lot of athletes don't make the transition to then a life outside that. Let's say the business world, philanthropy, whatever it is. So, Phil, I'll start with you first. What did you do to get down? Eddie Cowan said this beautifully. You get to the top of a mountain and then you can see the next mountain and a lot of elite athletes think you're just going to paraglide across. But you've got to come down and start again. So what did you do? Uh, I was lucky because half of my career was amateur and the other half was professional. So the amateur game, you knew that you had to have a life outside and so you were preparing for that you know, 10 years in advance. Um, so it was always in the back of your mind that that's, that's what you had to do. And so when you'd go to a function or whatever it might be, I'm going to talk to that dude because I don't know what they do, but they could be <laughs> important to me in the yeah. future. But, you know, without consciously saying that to yourself, that's essentially what you were doing. And that's how you mix with people and that's how you built your contacts and that's what makes the world go around. But it also gives you a broader perspective on life. And, you know, a lot of athletes do the same to me as they would to you. They say, what, what should I do when I finish rugby? And I go, okay, well, first thing you do is you write down all the things that you don't want to do and then that narrows the thing of what you do want to do. And then you start working through, as you would, with their skills and what can they do moving forward and try and give them some sort of basis for, for that. And confidence. I remember chatting to one of the swimmers who will re remain nameless, uh, but he, he said to me one of the issues he had is there was only two things in his life. From the time he was a little boy all the way through to winning Olympic medals, there was time and there was distance. They are the only two factors in his life. And when you go out to the big world, there's a billion other factors yeah. that you've got to take into in the, in the it's, it's really interesting what you said because I think my timing wise I started for New South Wales in 1989 I know you made your debut in 89 I finished in 2002 and 89 and 95 was semi-professional I think I put the semi in professional then. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then from that next part it was and yeah so I went to university and, and knew I had to study to, and I wanted to too I wanted to you know you're in a real bubble in a, in a elite sporting team and uh, if you get caught up in that sort of you get bogged down in the minutiae of, of that existence. But you I want to you, you're flipping on this, and you go, I studied, yeah. but yeah. You, you did. You played two World Cups. You retired pretty young. You were 29. 29 you had yeah. knees. We'll try yeah. to get them sorted out. And yeah. you and I had some, some discussions on yeah. that as well at the time. A good Paddy Farhart, yeah. I think, said, mate, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. do something else. But but what did you do? Because you know, you've, with Max, he built and sold a business and been successful. And now what you're doing well, with for, podcasting? For me, I, I always found... Um, all my mates that I, I sort of, um, I still got now, were, ma were mates outside of cricket. So I wasn't relying on my teammates. Um, I wanted to get out of that world. I was always interested in other people. And, and I remember those functions. I, I was one of the few guys actually talking to everyone. And and it wasn't. Yeah, it's so important. And, and, and you, you never know where you're going to end up. And and the big thing is be nice. I had a bill, Chris. Gilly's on the board of Travelex yeah. Yeah, because of that. You know, yeah, he went to a right, Travelex yeah. function. I think most of the Aussie team were like, oh, let's get out of here. What time's first bus? Yeah. Uh, Gilly was still chatting. We talked about um, tennis was before and all the my junior reporters from George Gregan through to Matt Dunning, <laughs> they, they all said, don't ask Kernsey about any rugby stuff. Ask him about his most proud moment winning the 2011 Sydney to Hobart. <laughs> they said, you just love that. I, I did three Sydney to Hobart's, 9, 10 and 11. We won yeah. in 2011 uh, on Anthony Bell's boat, <laughs> yeah. uh, Loyal. Okay. And um, 
Mate, I'm a shit sailor. <laughs> <laughs> I vomited the whole way, every, all three times, and uh, we we. Uh, I, I'm one of those people that I'm able to be seasick and spew, but I can just keep going. Right. And did that, and Phil Wall was actually the same. He was on the boat as well. We had some others. Um, I, I won't name Carl Stefanovic. Um. <laughs> well, that, that was my question. Like, uh, how you say proud? How did you not drown Larry Edner and Carl Stefanovic? <laughs> or well, at least vomit on him. <laughs> Larry did the first two with us, and then he didn't do the third one. Yeah. Uh, Carl did the third one, and we won. Yes, so he's done right. one, and so Larry's like, why didn't I not go? <laughs> so Larry gifted his to Carl. Yep. Uh, Carl, we got out of the heads. Uh, and by the time we turned at the last boy, he was already green. Wow. And literally, we, we hadn't gone through the heads yet, and he was green. By the time we'd got round the last boy, he was vomiting. And one of the boys said to him, it might have even been Maury, I think. <laughs> but, uh, Carl, the best thing to get rid of seasickness is go underneath the boat. Did <laughs> you? We didn't see him until we were up the, going up the Derwent. <laughs> The television cameras came out and so did Carl. <laughs> I've always said if, if Carl Stefanovic could talk about himself in the fourth person, he would. <laughs> he's, he's all right, Carl. Oh, I now, I just want to, one last question um, and a funny story. You know, I can't remember the actual details, but he said a mate of yours became a marriage celebrant once and uh, just got, got it slightly wrong in his announcement. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Am I allowed to say that? Of course you can. Of course you can. <laughs> yeah, instead of saying he'd like to solemnise the wedding, he said he'd like to sodomise the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Missed it by that much. <laughs> uh, you got to laugh. Look, I want to I want to thank you both um, for coming on the show. We're here at District Brasserie um, in Chifley Tower, who's a fantastic sponsor of the show. We have a nice little lunch now, and um, I've eaten here regularly. Yeah, it's a really good, really good venue. So come and check it out. Stay in town for lunch or dinner. They're open and for breakfast in the morning. Um, Maisie, I've known you forever. And, um, mate, the Strive Stronger podcast, guys, go and check it out. It's really, it's much more of a deep dive than Lunch with Lee. <laughs> I always said Lunch with Lee's not 60 minutes. This is more fun. Like, what what yeah. am I doing? Yeah. Sit up in a restaurant, get your mates in and just have a chat. It's great. That's it, mate. Just, you get paid to go to lunch. And, and Kernsey, mate, you're a, you're, a, you're an Aussie legend, mate, superstar. And you've, the thing I liked about when I spoke about to all my junior reporters, from Gregan to Burke to War to Dunning, they all said... Amazing bloke. So um, I think you. if your peers say that's a big, big, big compliment. Thanks, mate. Can I can I also just say on that that um, Matt Dunning. So do you know how much a personality weighs? <laughs> <laughs> personality weigh, weighs about forty-five kilo. Yep. Because Matt Dunning used to weigh about one hundred and thirty-five kilo, <laughs> and now he's down to ninety. So that personality is gone. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> He's got no personality anymore. Oh, yeah. I'm going to stick up for a mess of strength and conditioning. Cheesy looks lean. Uh, it is official. A personality weighs 45 kilos. <laughs> I love it, boys. Thanks very much. Thank you, Shannon. Bye. Hey, it's Andrew, and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Strive Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com 
where you can explore the books I have written, including Matchfit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.